nice to be here with you all today. And I'd like to also welcome those who are listening online later on. My name's Alyssa, and I'm one of the leaders here at St. Augustine's, although uh, you've probably seen me around a lot less this year because I've gone back to study theology. So my hours have had a bit of a zhuzh um, this year, but I'm still around, and I have the great pleasure of working alongside Phil in pastoral care. I love connecting with people, catching up for coffee. So, you know, if you want to ever come, um, catch up. I'm all about those those one-on-one catch-up times, so come find me, that'll be great. Going back to study this year has been both fantastic, I've really loved the learning, but it's also been quite an interesting juggle, working out family life, kids, all the other commitments. And I have to say, Kids just get busier the older they get. I think their schedules are more complex than mine. So I've loved being in school holidays and having it just um, calm down a little bit. Although we've added some new things in, like the uh, family-wide knit treatment. So, you know, that was a really great start to the holidays. I hope yours has gone better than ours. But we are now parasite-free and ready to roll with the rest of the holidays. So week two, let's go. But as I begin, can I just take a quick poll? Has anybody here heard a sermon on I am the gate before? Okay, yeah, no, the odds were as I predicted. Not too many of you, that's good. I had the option of a few and I thought, I might go for the slightly more obscure one. Then we can all learn something together. That sounds good. Um, So I've been sitting on this one for quite a few weeks now. And as I've been preparing, I've been getting more and more Uh, excited about it. So I'm really stoked to be able to be here and talk about this with you today. So we're going to kick off at the moment where Jesus makes this really odd statement, where he refers to himself as an inanimate object, a gate. I am a gate. That sounds super weird. So I'm going to hit you... um, with what he's talking about right from the get-go. And what he's saying incredibly directly is, I am the source of life, both now and for eternity. And that's basically it in a nutshell. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. Before he gets to this statement, he's actually, he tells his listeners a parable about a sheep pen. And it's the gate to the sheep pen that he's alluding to. And his listeners would have known that, and known exactly what he was talking about. But um, to help us out in the 21st century, where we're not quite so familiar with that, let's get an image of what that would have meant to those listeners at the time. So in the ancient Near East, the sheep were kept in pens overnight, and if they were in an urban setting, usually buildings, uh, courtyards were used to protect all the sides. But if they were open in open countryside, then the shepherds would build an enclosure out of stones. It usually wasn't super high, just waist high, with brambles and thorns on top to keep predators out. And the only gap was the gate, where they could either fill it with more brambles or they would often lie across it. So they themselves um, would actually become the gate. So the gate was the access both into the safety of the enclosure But equally, it was also the threshold that had to be crossed in the pursuit of pasture as the sheep left the enclosure. It was the only legitimate way to the sheep and for the sheep. So when Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep, he's saying, I am the way to the Father. I am the way to God. 
And suddenly, this very static object, the gate, becomes uh, the most personal of imagery. In the background to Jesus telling um, the parable is a really great read in chapter nine. He's just healed a beggar who was blind from birth. And there's been this really lengthy debate between the beggar and the Pharisees and his, the beggar's parents and the Pharisees um, about who Jesus was and his authority to heal and the fact that he had committed the worst faux pas by healing on the Sabbath. What a rule breaker. And the Pharisees actually eventually expelled the beggar from the temple because he publicly professed that Jesus, who had healed him, must be of God to be able to perform a miracle, right? Where they were trying to counter with demon-possessed. Doesn't usually lead to miracles, but anyway, what the, what the beggar was saying in their minds was utter blasphemy. And the Pharisees could do that. They could give or deny access to the synagogue to anybody they wanted to. And that was where the people had to go to worship God. It's where they needed to go to offer sacrifices that would redeem them from their sins. So it was power. They were the gatekeepers with all the power who could decide who could and could not get close to God. And it came with some pretty good financial gain on the side too, which they enjoyed. So when Jesus makes this outrageous statement that he's not even just the gatekeeper, but he's the actual gate, he was calling himself God. And that kind of kicked off the let's kill Jesus movement because he was closing the door to their power and on anyone and on any rules who would attempt to restrict access to God. And that was the point. A man had been excluded and denied access to God by religious leaders and their rules. And Jesus calls himself the gate to God because he loves us and he invites everyone into the sheep pen. 1 John 4 tells us, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus calls himself the gate because through him we find the Father's love. He's saying, I am the source of life. And he's saying explicitly that I am the only way to God. I am the gate for the sheep. And Jesus is making a statement that marks his exclusivity as the way to God. I am the only way into the sheep pen. I am the only way home. But it's an inclusive invitation to everyone to find God through him. And that, that kind of feels quite awkward in our culture now, right? Of We don't make absolute statements because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be accused of pushing our personal beliefs on anybody. But that's what Jesus is doing. And similarly, a few chapters later, he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
The twist on this absoluteness is that it is through this exclusivity that Jesus brings us freedom. The Pharisees could decide who was worthy in their eyes to access the temple, who was good enough to get to God, and usually that was only by who obeyed the rules and who obeyed their rules. I've got a very good friend um, who's an Orthodox Jew. She's very religious, very from, there's your Yiddish word for the day. Um, and I went to Miami a few years ago for her wedding, and it was an amazing time. I stayed with her family, I stayed with her fiance's family. But by the end of the trip, I was absolutely exhausted from keeping so many rules, from the kosher rules around meals, to what dishes could go into the dishwasher, based on what food groups had been on them, uh, to the dress codes and Sabbath behavior. As a goy or a Gentile, I was literally the only one who could turn the lights on and off for a 24-hour period and I had to carry all our gear to the beach. So, <laughs> pros and cons about the whole being a Gentile thing. There were so many rules, it was mind-blowing. Um, and once, we, and earlier in our friendship, we'd been discussing God's love, and she looked at me really confused and said, Alyssa, Jews don't talk about being loved by God or loving God, we're obedient. Which kind of broke my heart a bit because she's so devout, but that really misses the center. And we can all do that, we can miss the center, we can miss Jesus in getting caught up by the rules and by focusing on doing all the things that we think we should. When I was 14, my parents started pastoring um, a church in a small town and we, we had to move there, so we're new to the community and for some reason, nobody had ever said anything to me to convey this, but I just had this huge awareness, it was almost a burden, that mum and dad would be judged by the behavior um, of us children. And I think I had that a lot more than my brother and my sister did, looking back. Um, so I always did my best to be seen to be doing the right things. And it's the one time in my life that I look back on uh, that I nearly gave up my faith just from being so exhausted from, from keeping rules, from attempting to protect my parents' reputation and be a good Christian. And it was really only by having God show up and reveal quite powerfully his love uh, and how unconditional that was that it restored me and kept me going. So when Jesus says, uh, I am the gate, he's saying, I love you, I and the way to the Father. Gone are the rules for the rules' sake. Rules that would keep you from God. And I'm not talking total anarchy here, you know, because God gave his people the Ten Commandments for a reason. It was to protect their lives and to help them to flourish. He utilizes order, but they were never designed to keep people from him. When Jesus says, I love you, uh, when Jesus says, I, he says, I am the gate, whoever enters by me will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. And the pastures are always used as a promise of peace and tranquility. We can come and go, be fed and find peace, but only when it's pastures, pastures that we pass to through Jesus. When he says, I'm the gate, he's saying, I love you, I'm your protection. Through me, you are saved. 
We live in a time where we can create a lot of our own realities, you know. I'm currently blonde, I could go to brunette. I was a brunette and my husband never noticed me the whole time, so good thing I went back to blonde or this story may never have happened. Um, I can pretend to have a fancier life or a younger life than what I have. Some truths, some fakes, easier to spot, and some are more consequential. The internet is a really good place for finding um, fakes. If you, you should just try Googling worst fakes and um, see what comes up. Just a few examples here. There were many great fake tan shots. I felt like this was an all right one to use since it was a movie. Um, there's some great eyelashes. Great lip liner, too, needs some work. And this one was just too easy. Not a political statement, but maybe more of a needs a better beautician, I would suggest. Um, and this, this ID, I mean, if you're going to create a new identity, why not be Batman bin Superman? I mean, go the whole way. So the consequences of these fakes aren't too bad, and it doesn't really seem like there's an overwhelming attempt to make these believable, um, except maybe the Don. But then how about this one? A photographer deliberately entered this photo that was AI-generated into the Sony World Photography Awards earlier this year to prove that he could get away with it, and he did. He won his category. Um, he did not accept the award, just proved his point. But you know, even AI is setting the art world into a little bit of furor about how this is going to impact art. But even worse, in the 2021-2022 financial year, New Zealanders lost over $35 million to scamming, and that's only what was reported. So the actual amount is going to be much greater than that, which is absolutely horrifying to hear. And how do scammers succeed? They succeed by presenting their victims with a fake that's so, so close to the truth that it's almost indistinguishable. We're not talking bad fake tan here. We're talking copies so close to the original that they lead people to put their confidence and their trust in a counterfeit. We live in a time now where deciding who to trust can be really, really difficult. It's a massive problem. So how do we know we can trust what Jesus is offering? That we can trust him with our lives. Well, to start with, very helpfully in this passage, Jesus says twice, very truly I tell you. And in some translations, he just simply says, I am telling you the truth. And we can trust him because he didn't just say it. He then went on and did it. He died. He rose again. He is our source of life. He put his money where his mouth was. When Jesus says, I am the gate, he's saying, I love you. I will protect you. Your life is saved through me. And this is the life that he wants for us, one of abundance. When Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's saying, I love you. I am the way to a rich and satisfying life. And he's talking not just about eternal life, but the life that we have here and now with all our daily um, needs. We live you know, in a really complicated time in history. We have so many options. Never have we had so many career choices for when we leave school, and then a few years after that, and a few years after that, and a few years after that. I've just calculated I'm onto my fifth tertiary institution now. Um, 
As you know, Sam spoke last week about the burden we feel to make the right decisions, to write our own impressive life story, to live a good life, and how the freedom to choose what, um, what that all looks like has actually become this crushing weight. And that's just the lives that we present externally. What about our internal world? Then we have the concepts of self-actualization and self-fulfillment, a preoccupation with finding our true, authentic inner selves, the push to live our own truth, to keep evolving. Um, I'm a naturopath, I've got a degree in natural medicine, and while most of my learning was very practical, I did study with a range of people who wanted to understand how all aspects of their being uh, make up their health, including spirituality. So there were energy healers, Reiki practitioners, the occasional tarot card reader, Buddhist, fortune teller, just to name a few, alongside me in the classrooms. So it was actually quite a confronting place to be at times. And I've listened to a mind-body lecturer explain how Christians have got it wrong. That what Jesus was really saying was, the I am is the way, the truth, and the life. The I am is our subconscious self, our true self, our pure self, free from external influences that are the way to peace and fulfillment. I, I kind of sat there completely um, gobsmacked, not sure where to even begin. <laughs> In, in that situation. But you know, who can achieve that? And is that really the point? We're being sold this idea of achieving freedom in ourselves and who we are as something we can actually do for ourselves the more that we know ourselves. But Jesus is saying no to all that. When he says, I am the gate, he's putting himself back in the center and saying, come to me as you are without performing don't try and work it all out yourself. In me, you'll find your life and an abundant life. Uh, I love, you know, a good formational practice, which is very helpful since that's in Augustine's, we're all about them, it's on the website. Um, but I, you know, I found that I also need to watch that my practices connect me with Jesus and don't kind of become their own gateway. You know, it's getting that way when you're hanging out for a silent retreat, kind of more for the silence, and if Jesus showed up, that would kind of be cool, but you know, the silence, or stillness just for the peace that it brings. Um, I have to watch that I'm not just chasing a spiritual experience and missing Jesus in the process. Or on the other hand, that I'm not using them as just a checklist of good Christian activities as I found myself the other day thinking, oh, I really need to get my daily numbers back up for listening to the Electio 365 app. You know, and as I prepared for today, the practice I actually felt more challenged by to do more of is just reading my Bible, reading the words and the actions of Jesus because they are the truth. And in all he did, he gave glory back to the Father. Jesus directs us to God, and that's the gate I want to be focused on. When Jesus says, I am the gate, he's saying, I love you, I am the source of life for you, both now and for eternity. So as you come up for communion in a moment, remember that Jesus invites you to come to him today as the gate to the Father who loves you infinitely.
And at the end of the service, we have a time for prayer ministry. So even if this is your first time here today or you've been coming along and you've never made it down the front, you're so welcome to come down for prayer. If you've never met Jesus or you can see that you've drifted away from him and maybe allowed other things to come between you and God, things that may have stolen from you what Jesus has for you, we would love to stand with you and pray for you. Or even if there's just anything else that's come up um, and you'd like prayer for, please do come forward. Uh, but let's just pray now. Father God, we thank you today that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to be our way to you. Forgive us for when we've looked to other people or other things to be that instead of you. And forgive us for anything we may have said or done that's actually acted as a barrier to other people finding you and your love. Thank you that your heart is for us and for an abundant life through you. Today, we look to you as our source of life, now and forever, and we choose to place our trust in you. Amen.